All right, well, we are going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. Would you join me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18? Matthew 1, verse 18. This is a version of the history that we call Christmas, not just a story, a history. And it's a beloved moment, but with a baby and angels and gifts and stars, it can be easy to see everything and yet miss what it reveals all along. Sort of like a humor story that I'm sure you've read before. Sherlock Holmes and Watson, you're familiar with this detective duo? They go camping. And at some point that night, Sherlock nudges his friend awake and asks him, Watson, look up at the night sky and tell me, what do you see? And Watson replies, I I see a million stars. Sherlock asked his companion, well, what does that tell you, Watson? Pondering and thinking for a moment, Watson begins to go through the options. He says, well, astronomically, it tells me there's millions of galaxies and billions of stars. Horologically, I deduce that it's a quarter past three in the morning. Meteorologically, (laughs) that one, Watson's better a man than I. I can tell that it's looking like it'll be a beautiful night and morning, weather-wise. Sherlock was silent for a moment, offended that Watson couldn't even pronounce the terms. (laughs) And then he spoke, Watson, you fool, it means someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) See everything, yet miss what it reveals. Today we're going to look at the history of the birth of Jesus. Don't miss in the minutiae what it's telling us. Don't miss in the minutiae what it reveals. We're going to zoom out from the particulars, the details of a manger and a birthing experience and country folk bringing gifts. No, we're instead going to try to see things that most ultimately matter. What does Christmas ultimately reveal? Would you think that way as we read Matthew 1, 18 through 25? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for... He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke from his sleep, 
he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. A reality that altered the course of human history. What does this reveal? In my estimation, I, I put together at least five questions that Christmas answers. Five questions that Christmas answers. Maybe that's a helpful tool to use to categorize how we're going to speak this morning. Let's start with a stress-free, kind of easy mode question to get started. First, is there a God? Like I said, we were starting small here. Is there a God? Amen. But that we're getting ahead of ourselves. Is the supernatural real? If you go to Google right now on your phone, you're going to find a whole litany of opinions about this. But here, in the recounting of the birth of Jesus in his word, we see a concentrated display of the reality of God. Let's look at the evidence in the text, starting in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way, that's the intro, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, talking politely here, she, found, she was found to be with child. Okay, so we have a physically impossible conception here. What are we going to do with that reality? Let's, let's put that to a side for a moment. And that child is, it says, from the Holy Spirit. Okay? What's a spirit? And how is this one holy? Uh, there's another maybe bit of evidence we need to be considering. And it goes on. Joseph's thinking, okay, what do I do about this situation? My betrothed fiancé, as it were, is pregnant. As he considered these things, verse 20 tells us, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. There's another detail to note here. And then if you jump to verse 22, it goes on to say that all of this took place to what? Fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Here's a fourth piece of evidence. Not only does God exist, but he speaks and he keeps his promises. And we're not going to spend as much time as we could on all of these details, but is there a God? Christmas shows us evidence, shows us a supernatural conception, a supernatural God, a supernatural messenger, and a supernatural promise kept. All of this packed into the space of a few moments in time, retold over just a few inspired words. And if you've been around the Christmas story for a long time, you know that we could talk for hours about each one of these elements. Perhaps you've heard each of these elements unpacked in Christmas's past. What are the nuances around why Jesus needed to be born of a virgin? What are the differences between God the Spirit and God the Father and this Jesus who has always existed and yet somehow is right now being born? What are angels really like? How are 
prophecies made, how many were made about this, what did they all reveal? These are all lenses and details we could spend considerable time with. But what all these details point to is that there is more in our world than we can see with our eyes. Christmas shows us God exists. Are there any students in the room or kids perhaps? I got a question for you. Students, students and kids. Maybe adults can answer too. I see you. Are you ready for this? We're good. All right. Have you ever flown a kite? Anyone in the room? Seen a kite flown, right? This is my question. How does the kite stay up there? It isn't the string. I'm positive of that. How does a kite stay up there? Well, of course, you know, I'm, I'm asking maybe a simple question you're thinking. Everyone understands the way kites work, Ben. Air keeps it up. As it moves, it creates tension. The kite flies. There's lift created. Air does that work. And the kite, though, is evidence of that air, right? You can't see the air. You can see the evidence by the kite flying and soaring up into the sky. It points to the existence of billions of moving molecules that we can't see. But there it is. We call it wind. We're all certain it exists. And kites reveal that to us. Well, in the same way, the facts of the Christmas story, a conception, a, a God at work, these messengers, a, a promise delivered, they all show us something we can't see with our eyes, but we can't miss with our souls. God exists. That's what this evidence shows us. The first question Christmas reveals to us is, is there a God? Yes, he exists. The second question Christmas answers is this. What is God's plan? What is God's plan here? Okay, so God exists. Fine. What's he doing? What is God doing? The angel is communicating with Joseph here, and he says, what's he say? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then he continues, verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save. Man, I love this. Joseph gets a personalized gender reveal party. <laughs> Mary already had one. No wildfires were started in the process. And they also got the just, just the greatest blessing any set of expecting parents could ever receive. They were given a free pass on having to find and agree upon a name. <laughs> there it is. It's a boy. And his name is going to be Jesus. Wow, that solves everything for us. We're ready for this thing. When, do we, when does he come, right? Like, let's go. I mean, most of us, we pick names because we like the way they sounded, right? That or we hadn't met anyone or dated anyone that had ruined it for us by then, <laughs> right? Kind of adds to and eliminates a lot of options there. Well, Jesus' name is more than just a sound. It's a clue. It's a clue to our question, what is God's plan with this guy? 
Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua, or we would say Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. And there's, there's probably plenty of little Joshua's running around at that time in Jesus' day. I'm also sure Moses and David were pretty hot on the name charts at the time. But all the other Joshes simply testified by their names to the vague idea of the Lord's salvation, that he was their God, and yes, he's always promised to be a savior. God has been our rescuer. That's what their names kind of vaguely pointed to. And yeah, the hero of Jericho was a pretty good identifier with that name, right? Just kind of summed it up for us all. Joshua. God is our salvation. We saw that lived out through him. Now every mama in Judea wants to name their kid that. Well, now this child, this Jesus, the Greek version of the name, would not only testify of God's salvation, he would be that salvation himself. He would be that salvation. Jesus' name revealed God's plan and purpose in all of human history. His name will be Jesus, for he will save. Amen. Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions a son. God's plan. 1 Peter 2, he committed no sin, this Jesus, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. God's plan. God's plan was that Jesus would come and live and die in our place. Christmas shows us God saves that's what God's plan is. God saves. Jesus is the only one who does the saving. And, and we ought to work on the, the negative side of that conversation too, I think. Let's clarify what this means. It means Jesus isn't a life coach giving us everything we need to meet our goals. That means he's not merely an influential and inspirational figure it means he isn't one option among many options, and it doesn't really matter if we don't choose to go with him. No, God wasn't planning for my self-discovery or my self-expression as my ultimate end. God wasn't planning for my truth to be my deliverance. He himself is the Savior. God saves. Yahweh is salvation. On to the third question. God Plan revealed, God's existence seen. But maybe you misunderstand me now and think, well, the good news about Christmas is nothing really matters now. I can do what I want. I can chase down my life however I'd like to because if God turns out to be real after all, well, God saves. So I'm good. But we should ask, who is God saving? Who is God Saving. And Matthew 2, 21 reveals this to us. She, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save, what's the next two words? His people. His people. Not all people. Not smart people. Not Hoosier people. 
Not even good people, like Ohio people. Listen, a prophet is not without honor, okay? No, no. God's word reveals that he will save his people. Well, who is he saving then? Who are his people? Jewish people? That, That would make sense. That's the place he was born into, the ethnic group he belonged to, Middle Eastern descendants of Abraham. But it, it turns out to be more than just that. It's, it's not an ethnic people. He's after a spiritual people. We've learned in time through his word to re- use the term his elect believers. And I'll jump to the book of Romans to summarize this for us. Romans 15, 8 says this. I tell you, Paul states, that Christ, Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. That's the insider term here for Israelites. He became a servant to the Israelites to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles, that's everybody else, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So who's glorifying God for his mercy? Why did he become a human, a servant, After all, he wanted to serve Israel. And through Israel, he wanted to go to all nations so that all people may know and glorify him. God sent his son into the world to save people from every nation so that they might glorify God for the mercy they had received from him. There's a doctrine here that's epic and exciting. Scope, foreknowledge, and predestination, and choosing of who his people will be from every people group, from all of time. But how can God know who his people are? When they extend beyond the time and place where Jesus was born, beyond the borders of the place he had ever been to, beyond the time in which he existed as a human on earth, Christmas story doesn't tell us everything about this, but it does tell us that Jesus came to save his people. And that is only possible if God, God is sovereignly aware of every single person and every single thing across every single moment of all of existence. That's the only way this is possible. So Christmas is not about a God who showed up with a bang, but then fizzled out in the centuries that followed? No. Christmas shows us God knows. God knows everything, everywhere, always, and he knew his people. God is omniscient, knowing everything, and God knows his chosen elect, whom he will save. Christmas reveals this to us. I wonder if you remember... Choosing teams in recess or gym. Anybody remember that process? Anyone who's interested or has to play lines up in a long line and two captains are chosen? How many of you in here were captains when you were playing recess? Yeah, we see you. We know you. We still don't know how we feel about you. All right? Oh, we're sure. Okay. We know. And it's not positive. All right? But this is church. Keep it on the down low. 
All right, so these captains, they're going to pick people for their teams. They're going to choose their people, right? What are they choosing their people based on? What they know about them. What they know about them, whether they know they're athletic or tall or fast or strong or going to accent their team. And who is not picked and why? Based on what they know about us, right? Like, oh, no. This guy's annoying. This guy doesn't contribute. This guy's no good, right? Like, that's how those choices get made, based on what is known about them. Church, that is not what God's knowing is like. Jesus uses the illustration in a quite different way of a shepherd more than anything else, right? He knows his sheep. He looks for his sheep. He finds and rescues his sheep. He saves, not based on what he knows about the sheep, but that he knows his sheep, right? So what does this Christmas story reveal? It reveals God knows. And what's that tell us? Have you received God's grace? Then know this. God crossed heaven and earth to save you because he knew you and called you his. God called you his right from the start, not based on what he knew about you, but that he knew you as his own. Perhaps, though, that raises our fourth question. Why do we need this rescue? Why do we need to be saved? Let's finish up the phrase. Verse 21. He will save his people from their sin. We need to be saved because of our sin. And that's not traditionally a big theme of the Christmas season, right? Sin! It's the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) That's not what we focus on usually, but it's the entire context for the definite plan of God in Jesus to save. And it isn't a mere, oh, sure, some of us were a little bit more naughty than nice this year. That's not the story. Who needs to be saved except those who are doomed? I guess what I'm saying is we really are that bad. Merry Christmas. Think of Psalm 130. And really it's an echo of this phrase. He will save his people from their sins. It starts off The psalmist saying this, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. For what? For mercy. Because if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, sin, my rebellion against you, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? Who could be found worthy? This is the Pre-Christmas message. We can't stand. We are doomed. And who do we need to be saved from? 
We need to be saved from God. We need to be saved from his justice, which is right, and his wrath, which is earned against our sin. Against, we need to be saved from his eternal judgment of our sin, his eternal punishment of our sin in hell. And I realize this is not the kind of polite we like to be around Christmas. But it's the truth. And the psalmist is right. Since God is holy and right, our punishment is not merry and bright. That is not the outcome here. But he continues and reveals an echo that reverberates up to this birth of Jesus moment when he says in verse 4, But with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Praise the Lord. You hear that echo? He will save his people from their sin. He will redeem Israel from their iniquities. Christmas shows us we're doomed. We were doomed. Our sinful doom is the reason for the reason for the season. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the final question, the Christmas answers. If we're doomed, why would he save me? If we're doomed, why would he save me? Why does God bother to save us? He doesn't need us. We can't earn any of his favor or good intentions. Why would God condescend to save? I think we get a clue in verse 22. All of this took place. A virgin conceives, bears a son. His name's going to be Jesus. Joseph takes her. All of this takes place to reveal, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's an incredible thing. God made a promise hundreds of years before through Isaiah, the prophet, and it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus' birth. And then it's a curious thing. This prophecy says Jesus' name should be Emmanuel, which Matthew translates from the Hebrew as meaning God with us. All right, so we'll get to the God with us bit in, in just a moment, but I want to first kind of figure out this name situation Jesus has going on here. Hadn't the angel pretty explicitly told both Mary and Joseph that his name was supposed to be Jesus, right? Like, are we misremembering that here? If that's the case, which one is it? 
Is the angel right or the prophecy right? The angel's words or the Lord's words? Is it Jesus or is it Emmanuel? My answer is yes. Yes. And maybe this would explain it for us. Jesus was his literal name, his literal name. Emmanuel is his descriptive name, all right? Jesus is his literal name. Emmanuel is his descriptive name. God the Son would be referred to as Jesus by anyone speaking Greek anyway. But astonishingly, God the Son was God and human too, He'd always been above all creation, but now, visibly, purposefully, tenderly, he was here in creation. He was God with us. Jesus was Emmanuel, both in his person and in his work. In his person, he was God with us, meaning he was divinity in humanity. He was incarnate is the word we use often. He was God in flesh. Hail the incarnate deity, we sing. He was God with us in his person, but he was also God with us in his work. In his work, he was God with us, meaning that where sin had separated humanity from God. Now, Jesus, in his life and work and rescue for us in the gospel, was going to bring us back together with God so that God could be with us again. Jesus was Emmanuel in his person and in his work. And this is where we see some of an answer to why would God save us? And let's zoom out. From the moment to see what it reveals. Why would God save me? Well, if God is willing to come, incarnation, God as human, and if God is willing to sacrifice to be with us on the cross for our sins, then I can't come to any other conclusion except that God must love us. Christmas shows us that God loves us. Christmas shows us that God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Christmas shows us that God is not an indifferent cloud dweller, that God does not stay on the sidelines, that God is not dead, that God is not far from you, that God does not hate you, that God has not forgotten you. He does not merely yell at you, quit disappointing me, get your act together, why couldn't you do more or better? No, God is moved to be with you because God loves you. God loves us so much that he became one of us, divinity in humanity. And God loves us so much that he sacrificed to save us, divinity who became sin and suffering. And all of this ultimately is wrapped up in his glory that he receives for all of eternity for his excellency in this. Because we didn't deserve his love, and yet he gave it quantities 
we'll never be able to understand. Jesus, the saving one, was with us because he loves us. Isn't it a wonder then? Nestled across an angelic messenger, divorce paperwork, and an unexpected pregnancy. Christmas reveals the most profound realities of our existence. Is there a God? What was his plan? Why do we need to be saved? Who is he saving? And why would he save me? Christmas shows us God exists, God saves, God knows, and we would be doomed except God loves. Do you believe the truths that Christmas reveals? Of a sinful humanity that needs to be saved? Of a real and loving God? who sent Jesus to be with us? Of God's plan to save his people through Jesus' death on the cross for us, in our place, for our sins. Anyone who realizes they are lost, who repents and turns and believes and trusts in the work and salvation of Jesus will be saved will experience all of this love in God through Christ Jesus now and will experience it in joy forever. So will you trust him? You could today. Or, or will you cherish him, believer, in awe and wonder? Will you fall on your knees and praise his name forever? Christmas answers our questions by giving us Christ Jesus, the Lord. As one artist wrote, could this child be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel, this baby, this fragile life, is this child the one who spun galaxies into motion across the gasping skies? Whose force spoke oceans into crashing rhythms? Crafted the mountains? Tore valleys through unyielding fortresses of stone? Could this be the same God who chose then to come as a vulnerable king? Setting his throne on straw in a manger. Drawing forth the teams of shepherds. Receiving gifts from wandering travelers. His fame unknown in this world. It is. He is Jesus. The one who thunders through the heavens. And yet whispers in our hearts. The one who reigns victorious and yet bows to serve the broken. 
He is God in the fury and God in the silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands. And he holds our questions until they lose their meaning. Until all that we see is him. Let's adore him.